word and let it not return void. God, let your spirit be here today. I pray that you be with those that are speaking, that are, that are preaching all over the world, God, that, that the gospel would advance uh, mightily today. And uh, it's in your name we pray, amen. Awesome. So this morning, um, we're going to look at John chapter 9. So to immediately confuse you, open up your Bibles to John chapter 20. Okay? I feel like, I don't know, I just, I, I need some feedback. I feel John needs some, you know, doesn't he, do, do I need a cartwheel? If I cartwheel, you'd be like, yes. All right, so anyway. Um, but no, John chapter 20. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the purpose of why. Now, I teach high school Oh my gosh, so pray for me, right? We're about to start. I, they keep wanting me to work again. I don't understand that. I think this whole summer thing where they just send me a paycheck is good. And um, I don't know why we would ever go back ever, 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 ever. Um, you know, I, I feel like the students are with me on that. Uh, college students are definitely with me on that. We love education. We love being in Charleston. Can't we just stay here and eat food? That seems fair. Um, you know, and I say you go for that. Talk to Dr. Brewer, whatever you got to do, get it done. All right. So chapter 20 of John verses 30 through 31. We're going to look at why we're looking at John nine today. Okay. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of the gospel of John. I'm going to go ahead and say that's the purpose of the, of the entire Bible. Is that by, by believing, you may have life in the name of Christ. The entire reason that this whole thing is put together for you is so that when you read, and he says, John goes, there's other stuff he did. That's not what I'm talking about. This stuff that's in here. I gave it to you, I wrote this stuff down so that you would believe in the name of Christ and have eternal life, okay? That's, that's, that's it. If you're wondering, like, why did God write the Bible? There you go. You're done. Check that one off, all right? Good. So let's go to John 9. Now, my students, they ask often, uh, they want to know what, you know, they want to know the answer. If you, if you teach math, you go three plus three is, I think it's six. You go six, and, and they're like, okay, that's good. I accept that. But, but, so they always want to know the answer, but they don't, often, they don't often want to know why that's the answer. And my job is to teach the why. Um, you know, why we do this, why we study. We see why in John 20, so let's get into that. Chapter nine, verses one through two, all right? I'm sure you're familiar with this passage. It's a man born blind, okay? Not, not anything you haven't heard of probably before. Um, so let's look at it. Verse one and two. As he, being Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he was born blind? And, and, and you go, okay, yeah, familiar with that, heard that, got it. And, and, and if you think about it, you go, okay, that's kind of weird. The fact that this man would sin and then uh, that this man's parents would sin and that he would be born blind. That's kind of strange, you know, but we, we do have that kind of stuff today. Birth defects, you know, if sometimes if, if people have used drugs while the baby was in the womb, sometimes that kind of thing can affect the, the birth. So, so not too far off from us, but this idea of sin that's attributed to the parents um, having, uh, you know, effects on the child is, is kind of weird, but not not in terms of Jewish understanding, right? 
because they were familiar with it. If you look in Exodus, you know what happened? They sinned, screwed up, got punished. And then not only did they get punished, the next people got punished and the next people got punished. If you look at David and Bathsheba, for instance, what happens? The kid that they had died, right? Sins of the parents punish the child. Okay, so good. We're fine with that. But did you catch the last part of the, of the thing? It said, it said uh, the sins of the parents or the sins of this man? Well, that's weird because he's been blind since birth. So strange, right? I mean, that's just odd to me. I look at it and I go, that's very strange. But so, so here's what they do. I was, I was reading about this because you know, I'm kind of a dork. I don't know if I've told you that. But, uh, and I was, I, was reading, I was reading a little book there. And, and they said, actually, there's two theories. Um, the first theory is prenatal sin. Okay, prenatal sin. Now, if there are any pregnant people here today, you'd be like, mm-hmm. That happens right now. They're kicking me. I'm, I'm going to hurt them. You know, like I'm just going to start kung fuing back. Right? I understand that. That's fine. You know, but, but that's kind of how it goes, right? You know, prenatal sin. I don't know what you did in the womb, blind man, but you screwed up something big because you're blind now. You know, like that's kind of what's going on, right? I don't know what you would, what do you do? I don't even know. I don't even remember that. Do you remember that day? I don't remember that day. It was cold. I remember that. All right. But that idea and then, it was, and then it was like, okay, the second theory is um, pre-existence of souls. And the pre-existence of souls is this idea that uh, at creation, everyone existed, all of our souls existed, we were there in the Garden of Eden, and when we entered into bodies, bodies contaminated us, and then we became evil. And then when he, so when he entered the body, uh, he got contaminated, the sin of this world affected him, and he ended up blind. They splintered off that idea and they said, okay, well, actually what happened was is that, and that kind of went like a predestined Calvinism type look. And they said, um, what it is is that some souls are good, some souls are bad. And the bad soul ended up being the blind man. And so he ended up being blind because of it. And I'm like, that's crazy. You crazy. And so like, you know, that's just where I was at. I'm sorry. But, you know, for all of you theologians, it's borderline pre-Adamic spirits, but we're not going to talk about that today. Okay. Um, So. That's kind of how that goes. Pretty cool. Interesting. I thought that was strange. Um, so the theory ends with the prior, with prior to his physical existence, this guy did something wrong and he was born blind or his parents did something wrong and he was born blind. But let's look at what Jesus says in verse three. Okay. So he says, uh, let's start in one. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I need you to to think about that for a second. And I wanted to, to stress that this is a hard truth. Okay? It's not something you just go, oh yeah, that's fine with You have to go, and I wrote down so I didn't mess it up. There is suffering that is allowed in the world so that God might display his power and his glory. That's a hard truth. It's true, but we might not like it. Doesn't make it less true, does it? You know, I, my parents got divorced when I was 13, didn't like it. Guess what? They got divorced. It didn't change anything, did it? All right? That's kind of how that happens. You know, you don't like when you lose a loved one, but they're gone, aren't they? You know, well, they're not gone, but you know what I'm talking about. 
It's interesting. I'm not going to go further into that today, really. But uh, I did want you to understand that God allows suffering for all of you people who are like, why does your good God allow suffering? God allows suffering so that he can produce greater glory for himself. And you go, what is, I don't understand. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Without suffering, without death, Christ could not suffer and die for salvation. So he allows the suffering and death of his son to produce greater results. Right? Now, Jesus knew the plan of his father. We don't necessarily know sometimes when suffering comes in our lives what the plan is, okay? It might be 10 years later. It might be 20 years later. It might be in glory that it's revealed to you and you go, oh my gosh, I understand. At the same time, that's, that's the simplicity of it and that's the glory and beauty of the cross is that in the suffering, he's producing a greater good. So with that in mind, the purpose of the blind man's blindness is to make the strength and might and glory of God visibly apparent to everyone else. So his blindness allows others to see the power of God. Okay, so this guy has been blind from birth. They call him a man, so let's go with Judaism. Let's say he's probably 30-ish, you know. Imagine the parents raising him. You know, it does mention his parents. We, he, he's alive, so he has parents. That's good. Um, you know, but it's this idea of they would have had to, like, move stuff in a particular way in, his ho- in their house so that he would know where it was. They would have to raise him in a particular way. If he needed to go to the restroom, they probably had to help him with that a little bit more than others, right? And then this idea of maybe they sought healing, you know, well, if, if they're good parents, which they're still sticking around at 30, may, maybe they are good parents. I don't know. It doesn't say. But they would have gone and said, you know, can you help our kid? Can, he's blind. Can you get him to see? They would have tried these things if they were good parents. And, and, and it doesn't happen. But then this happens in John 9, verses 6 through 11. Let's look at that. So Jesus goes on about the light of the world a little bit, and we're not going to dive into that today. He says, verse 6, after he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Salaam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Now his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No, others were saying, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Therefore, they asked him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, told me to go to Salaam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. You know, I do love simplicity. It makes, it makes things good for people like me. I like just simple, dude, what happened? I went and washed and it was good. And you're like, okay, good. Yeah, that's good. You know, my wife gives me grief sometimes because uh, I'll talk with uh, somebody on the phone uh, and, and it'll be like, hey, they went to this wedding. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I hang up and she goes, what happened? I said, they went to the wedding. Well, where was the wedding? I don't know. Well, you know, what's the guy's name? I, don't, I have no idea. Well, then what did, and I'm like, I don't know. It's a wedding. I don't know. You, you want to, the people probably got married. It's good. You want to call, call him or you want to know? I don't, I don't care. It's like, they got married. It's not me. I don't have to worry about it. It's not my daughter. I don't have to pay for anything. It's good. It's good. Weddings, good. Food, yes. Yes. Summit, food, good. You right? Wonderful. Um, but that's kind of how it is. Very interesting. So he says this is what has happened. So think, think about this. Jesus gets done speaking, and then he spits on the ground, right? 
So that's just like, that's weird to me to think you're Messiah. You see these pictures of like Jesus. He's got these rosy, I was in the prayer room. He's got these rosy cheeks, these over lipsticked lips. I'm like, that ain't Jesus. And so, you know, but like Jesus is out there and he's like, he's saying, I'm the light of the world. We got to work while it's not dark. It's cool. And then he's like, and you're like, okay, you know, what was that about? You know, and what's crazy? Have you thought about this? They're having this whole conversation in front of the blind dude. Right, because he's just sitting there. He's like, you know, and then people are spitting on the ground. He's like, I, I sit here, you know, but I don't know. I just keep picturing what is happening, and it's freaking me out. So he goes, he goes, and he's like, okay, he spits on the ground, right? And then he gets down, and he, and he rubs the spit into the mud, or into the dirt, which makes mud. Now, I thought about doing this. Honestly, I thought about getting a little, little jars of dirt and bringing it with me giving you all little jars of dirt and then having you spit in it and rub but that's nasty and we don't want Ebola or whatever so we're not we're not going to do that okay um we don't want to we don't want to get that that's that's not good and then I thought maybe I can do it but then I I don't know about spitting in the chapel it's weird right okay so we're not gonna do that um but that's what he did and that's strange to think about Christ this this guy who is the incarnation of God is kneeling down he spit on it he's rubbing some that's just strange to me man I don't know if that's strange it's weird freak me out um so Jesus makes mud he applies it to the man's eyes he tells him to go and wash and he does Something that I wanted to point out in this is that Jesus is, in fact, the initiator of this. Not once in this gospel do you hear the blind man go, I'd really like to see Jesus. You know, Jesus actually takes the initiative on this. Isn't that strange? You know, a lot of people are asking for healing and stuff like this. This guy's just sitting there, you know. And you can go a little bit further. You could say, well, Jesus can read his heart, knows that he wants to see. I think anybody could do that. That's not really giving Jesus a lot of like extra power. I think if you look at a blind person, you go, that guy probably wants to see. You know, yeah, probably, right? So I don't really think you give him too much for that. But the guy never asked. And I think that's interesting that Jesus takes the initiative. I thought about that. Why does he do that? Because Christ restores the man's sight because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the king does what happens in the kingdom. And so restoration of all things and the bringing about of all things new occurs in the kingdom of God. And so when the kingdom of God comes upon this man, he gets what will happen. He is restored, right? He didn't, he didn't ask for it. He just gets it. He just gets blessed. He just gets changed. He gets transformed. You think about it in heaven, you get glorified. What even is that, man? It's crazy. We look at Christ after the resurrection. That's the best glimpse we have at it. You're just like, that's just crazy. You know, when the kingdom of God comes, it changes things. All right? Love that. Let's see what happens next. The man can see. People are happy. So we need somebody to come ruin this, right? Pharisees, right? Cue the Pharisees. John chapter 9, 13 through 17. Little Pharisaical hats. I don't know. I picture them anyway. Um... 13 through 17. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. They probably being the neighbors who were asking him about it. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. So again, the Pharisees asked him, how had you received your sight? He put mud on my eyes. He told them, I washed, I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a simple man perform such signs? And there was division among them. 
Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. Okay, good. So the Pharisees ask him, they say, all right, all right, so who do you say he is? We're kind of we're argumentative over here. Who do you think he is? And he goes, well, he's a prophet. Now, what happened first? When the neighbors asked him who they thought Jesus was, what did he say? He said, he's a man, the man Jesus. He didn't say the prophet Jesus, he said the man Jesus. Pharisees have now asked him, and now he's, he's elevated him. He's, he moved him to prophet status, right? Oh, he's a prophet. You know, he says, oh, the prophet Jesus. Very interesting. Why would he say that? Because, and we, think about this, it's probably the highest office that the blind man knows. You know, he thinks, wow, this guy came, he put mud on my eyes, he had me wash. You know, he's clearly not just a man, he's got to be a prophet, right? Plus, if you look at the Old Testament, what happens? Prophets are always known by the works that they do, right? You look at, you look at Exodus with Moses, what's he doing? He's, he's got sticks, they turn into snakes, that's cool, we're going through waves, he's ultimate surfer. You know, that kind of thing, good. And then you've got Elijah, he's calling down fire, he's like, I'm burning that pit, I'm burning this pit, everybody, we're catching fire. You know, it's just like, I don't know, it's crazy, but that's how the prophets go. So the guy goes, well, he restored my sight, clearly he must be a prophet, okay? And some people thought that, and and that's reasonable to some extent. The Pharisees still don't believe the blind man, so they ask his parents. They say, they want to ask them, hey, you know, is this guy even, was he actually blind? The man's parents, they don't want anything to do with it. They know, and you can read about it in here, we're not reading it today, they know in John 9 that if they say that Jesus is the Messiah, they're getting booted out, right? They know that even if, even if they don't say Jesus is the Messiah, if they say something wrong, they're still going to get booted out, you know? And think about this. I mean, like, you had two different types of excommunication back in that day. You had temporary excommunication, which means that you get kicked out of the temple for a certain amount of time, temporary, okay, yeah. And then they had permanent excommunication, right? Total where you're kicked out forever. Now, okay, maybe or maybe not a big deal for us. If, you know, if we if booted you out of the church or something, you'd be like, that's messed up, but I can go to another one. There's like 17 right down the street. Okay, fine. But this is Judaism. These are Jews. This is the temple. It's not just where they go to church. This is a nationality. This is their identity. They're, they're, they would be like, it would be like, being, you know, um, I don't know, Hispanic, and then the, all the Hispanic people getting together and say, Mm-mm, you're not Hispanic anymore, you're Caucasian. You know, like, that would be, you'd be like, that's, dude, I was born in Mexico or something, why am I not, you know, and you're like, mm sorry, you're now a South Carolinian. You know, like, you're like, that's weird. You know, like, but that's what happens, you know. It's, it's not just where you live, it's, it's your heritage, it's your identity, who you are, you know. And so they didn't want anything to do with it. And the parents are weird. I feel weird about the parents. I don't know if I want to like throw them under the bus or if I want to like, yeah, they're fine. You know, they're just protecting their, you know, but what do they do? They go, oh, bring our son in. He's 30. You can ask him. We don't, we don't, man, we don't know anything, you know, and they, they either throw him under the bus or, you know, and they're like, ask him, he kick him out. You know, we don't, he's our son, boot him. He doesn't know. And you think about this, like dude was blind, which means he's not allowed in the temple. Okay, because he's sinful. He's not allowed in the temple. He cannot worship his God. Okay, he can see now. And every single time he goes to the temple, the daggum Pharisees keep harping on him. They keep jumping on this guy, you know, and he's, he's just now here. He's just here to worship God. You think about like a person who comes in to visit the church for the first time. 
You know, and it's like, they're just here. They're just here to hear about God. Just tell me some things about God. I don't know about God. And then, uh, you know, you guys who are members and stuff like that, you come around and you go like, oh, where's your Bible? You know, oh, is that your Bible? You should have a bigger Bible. You know, like you need a 300 pound. We need a couple of Lowe's back braces and a couple of guys to come and lift the Bible. You know, like it's just ridiculous. You know, every single time he goes to worship his God, it'd get questioned. Well, what about this? What about this? And he gets kind of fed up with it. And I kind of like that a little bit. Okay. Um, but it's pretty interesting. So let's see. John nine twenty four through 27. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Little jab, little jab, right? He's getting a little, he's getting a little, eh, you know, and I like that. It's good because he's getting, he's getting a little frustrated with these guys. He says, the Pharisees say in verse 24, give glory to God. And what's up with that? That's our idea of, okay, really this time tell the truth, right? You know, this time we really want you to tell the truth as if God were here in front of you, tell us what really happened, Right? So he goes and he starts, he starts talking and hear what he says in, in, in verse 25, he says, I'm getting like feedback. I might be in the wrong place. I'm going to stand over here. Okay. Um, he answered whether or not he's a sinner. I do not know. But one thing I do know is that I was blind and now I can see. And I think what you, what you might miss in there is the power of someone's individual testimony. You know, we, we, you might not know, you might not, you might not go to seminary and get you a PhD and be really educated and read a bunch of books and all this kind of stuff, but you do have one particular thing that's particular to you and that no one can actually take away from you is your testimony. I can come at you with, you know, if we're, if we're talking atheism or whatever, we can have teleological and cosmological and ontological arguments if you want, but let's say I don't have those. What can I say? Well, I was this, then I met Christ, then I was this. Explain. I don't, I don't have anything, I don't have a, a fancy answer degree or an apologetic thing to give you, but what I do have is my father was an alcoholic, he met Christ, he was no longer an alcoholic. What now? You know, my dad was abusive, he met Jesus, he's no longer abusive, he's still not perfect, but he doesn't hit us anymore. What now? You know, what do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, how are you, you going to argue that, man? You can't. He says, look, something happened. Here's what happened. It's my testimony. I mean, you can't, you can't do anything with that because the guy goes, look, I was blind. Now I can see. I'm not real sure what happened scientifically. I'm not sure what happened theologically. I just know that I can see everybody now, and Jesus is the one that did it. That's what I got. And that's enough. A lot of times we start to question God, and we go, are you going to do this in my life? What do you have for me, Lord? You know, what direction should I go? And I think sometimes we miss the joy that is your initial salvation. And you don't think about what he has done for you. I tell you, sometimes when we pray, I, I pray thanking God for a bed. You know, because I think sometimes as Americans, 
we think we should have one. You think you should have that? You know how blessed you are to have that? Take a mission trip, you'll see. Go to Peru with these guys. You know, like, you'll understand. It's just one of those things to where you just think, God, man, look what he's already done. Dude, I can walk. He's so good. And then you realize the blessings are just the unending. It's ridiculous. So it's pretty interesting. The blind man gets a little attitude in 27, and I'm, I don't know if you figured it out yet, I'm, I'm kind of a smart mouth person, you don't want to, and I have a problem with that. Um, it, it, I'm a jerk, I know, I'm sorry. And so it's one of those things that I'm trying to like get over, and it's not working at all. Uh, he says, 27, I already told you, and you didn't listen. What, do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Now he's just said to the Pharisees who hate Jesus, you want to be his disciples? You know, like, oh my gosh, you're going to get beat so bad. It's so like, you know, like, that's what's going to happen. I know, because like, you have smart mouth, but you're not big, I'm tiny. And so I can't do anything. So I have to call Ricky, and Ricky helps. <laughs> Ricky will, he'll fight them. And so, you know, like, he helps. Yeah, it will be a state. All right. So, um, but that's just kind of how it goes. Sorry, that's a Puerto Rico joke. I really want it to be 51. That's what I want. Me and you, man, we're there. All right. Um, but anyway, and so it's just kind of how it goes. He gets this attitude. He says, two. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hook you up with an English lesson real quick because I did English here at CSU. Go box. Uh, but, well, theology, but English. There was a lady. All right. So, um, two means... Also, huh? Yeah. Um, but that's what it means. Think about this. He says, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Well, the implications of that are what? He is a disciple of Christ. When did that happen? <laughs> you know, and here he is. He's talking with the Pharisees. He's taking them from man to prophet. And now he says, you want to be his disciples too? Implying I am his disciple. What in the world? All of a sudden, he's just his disciple. It comes out this declaration of allegiance to Christ. He's a disciple now. Now, he hasn't even seen Jesus yet. He physically has not seen him. So if you're ever going, it's really hard to believe in a God who I can't see. Look to the blind man. Right? Go to John 9 and go, well, I don't see Jesus, but I'm considering myself a disciple because of what he's done in my life. Okay, so you see that the Pharisees don't like that idea. What do they do? They boot him out of the temple, right? I told you, you can't, there's certain things you can't say. They will kick you out. And they did. They just right out the door, right? And so they just sent him out. So, so now he's kicked out of the temple. He finally got to go in the temple because he's clean. And as soon as he gets in, they boot him out. So that's, that's really strange. It's just, it's nuts. It's, to me, it's the same equivalent as like a visitor coming into a church and then us going, oh, well, your clothes aren't good enough. Why don't you go back and change your clothes and come back? You know, or your life isn't really put together how it should be. You need to get it right before you come to Jesus, okay? We, we all have it good here. We all have it right and together. So, you know, we get, we get A's and everything and uh, we do really well. So we're ex- excellent, right? Anyway, um, but that's just kind of how it is. I just don't know. I just don't like, I don't like the idea that you see that he's committed to Christ. He's committed to the effects of his power, which is good. We see that some in the New Testament already, people worshiping God or people coming to God because they want miracles. Hey, feed us again. We're hungry. Where's the fish? Where's the loaves? We've got 15,000 people. Come and help us, right? So people were already chasing Jesus because of the miracles. And right now, I'm going to say that the blind man is probably at that point. 
Okay, he's probably elevated Christ to a prophet who he follows because of the miraculous effects of his power, thus now being able to see. Okay, so let's look at 35 through 38. And I'm trying to go through the text quickly because there's so much. But it's good. When Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, he found him and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. So, Christ comes up to this man and he asks him a simple question. Do you believe? And the man says, I do. And he worships Jesus. Now, something to point out is that this is the only point in the Gospel of John where anyone worships Christ. There is no other point in this Gospel where anybody worships Jesus. But here he is, the blind man. That can be kind of small, but it should be understood as huge. He is giving what is properly due to God to Christ. He is saying, you are my God. And he's showing that through his worship. So he's committed. He's all in. He, he doesn't even care what people think about him now. You know, beforehand, he'd be like, okay, yeah, you're following him. He lets you see. We get that. That's cool. You're a disciple. This dude's like, Mm-mm, no, he's not a prophet. He's not a man. He is God. And so he's worshiping him now and saying, Yes, he is my Lord and my Savior. He doesn't just restore my sight. He restores me. He brings me to the right place with God. So I just like that progression. You know, you notice the progression of it with his neighbors. They say, who is Jesus? He says, he's a man. The Pharisees say, who is Christ? They say, oh no, he's a prophet. And he has reason for that. But when he meets Jesus face to face, he says the only answer which is possible when you meet Christ, he is God. It's the only thing that should come out is worship and declaration of who he is. Have you ever noticed that in the New Testament when Jesus meets demons? You ever ever figured out like what they do every single time? he meets a demon what do they do they like fall down worship him proclaim who he is please don't kill me that's weird you know that's just really strange here's these demons that have like ripped chains up have beat up other people all this kind of stuff and when christ meets them they immediately bow down and go what do you want from me son of the most high god are you here to kill me that's power That's what happens when you come face to face with Christ. This idea of who you are has now been defined. So who do you say he is? You know, and it's this idea of it's it's the only thing appropriate. The king who restores sight to this blind man will later make atonement for his sins. He's going to go one even higher than that. He's going to say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that in your life. That's cool. You don't do that anymore. I, I got you out of this sin or I did this. But check out what I actually did. I provided salvation. I provided a way, the only way to God through my death. Pretty awesome. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't fully comprehend the idea of what Christ has done for us. 
you know, this idea of these, there were these, these laws, and a lot of times people get into laws, and they go, well, we should follow the law. I remember I met a, I had a, had a friend t- talking to me last, no, it was like Saturday, Friday. I had a friend talking to me Friday, and he said, I met this woman who said she was a Messianic Jew, but uh, said that we should follow the law, even though we're Christians. And I was like, there's a chapter, there's a whole book in this about that in the New Testament. You should read it. You know, like, it's one of those kind of things. But it's like, you know, if, if you're adding something to Christ, then clearly you're not a Christian. If, it, if you, you think that you have to believe in Jesus... Plus, read your Bible, go to church, tithe, and love other people, then you don't understand the gospel. Right? If it's Jesus plus something, then it's clearly not Christianity. It is only Christ alone. It is through faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone that we come to Jesus. Right? That's the only way to salvation. I'm sorry. You know, if you, if, if you would say, look, there's other ways, there's other things. Aren't we, all, aren't we all just trying to get to the top of the hill? Aren't we all just trying to get to the top of the hill? You know, Islam, you know, you say, okay, well, we're going to go through Muhammad and we're going to eventually get here and we're going to be good. And then Buddhism, we're just trying to get to the top of the mountain. This is an old il- illustration. You've probably heard it. And, 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 but Christianity, aren't you guys just trying to get to the top of the mountain where God is? But you know, the, the thing about Christianity is it's the only one, check out every religion you'd like, it's the only one where the God actually came down, got you, and brought you back. There isn't any other one. Everything else says, oh, you want to be with God? You want to put him in your debt? You want to actually get to heaven? Well, here's what you got to do. You got to pray five times a day, you got to face the east, and you got to make a trek to Mecca. So if I do this, then that. And, and what kills us is that we as Americans are like, yeah, we like that. You know why? Because we got taught when we were growing up. You work hard, you get good things. You know, you want an A in the class? Study. You want a big house? Get a job that makes a lot of money. You want to get a big job that makes a lot of money? Get a degree that will get you the big job that makes a lot of money. Or know somebody, right? You know, but it's one of those kind of things. We've been taught work hard equals blessing. You want to get better at football? You want to get better at basketball? You want to get better at these things? Practice. You know, and those are, that's true. That's good, right? Though sometimes it doesn't always turn out that way. But at the same time, that messes with us because we're like, oh, the same thing applies to theology. Same thing applies to God. Same thing applies to religion. I can just do enough and then I can get to where I'm good enough to where God has to let me in. And now you're a heretic. Because you think that you're good enough to convince the God who holds your atoms together that you're worth something? Do you know how much he's made? I mean, I love, I love Robbie's prayer at the end, you know, that your word does stuff, that when you speak, things happen. You know, he's upholding the universe by the word of his power, right? Yes. You know, that idea of you think that there's this way that you can persuade God to, let me, let me get in your debt. Let me get in your debt, Lord. I did this. Look, I did this. And God's like, no, I'm sorry. Those are just filthy rags before me. You want to know why you're good enough to get into heaven? Because I made you good enough to get into heaven. That's what Jesus says. He says, God says, my son went and died in your place because you were not worthy You were not holy. You were not good enough, but I've made you good. And now you are righteous and you are holy and you are worthy and you are my saints. And I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. 
right? That's the idea. And I think a lot of times we think, what can I do to earn salvation? Read this book. There isn't anything you can do to earn salvation except for what we talked about in John chapter 20, believe in Christ. So that's just kind of how it is with Christianity, with Jesus, with our God, with our King, who holds everything together by the power of His Word. What must we do to be saved? Repent and believe. Very simple. I love simple things. You hear that the gospel is shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for a man to drown in. And that's just true. And I think what I wanted to ask you was, it was actually very funny. I was, I was rewriting this because my handwriting is atrocious last night. And I was like, as I was rewriting, I thought, you know, John does that. Let me ask, let me see. I want to think about that for a second. Because I had John as a professor, so. Um, you know, whatever. I got an A, but there were cookies involved. All right, so. Um, but he taught evangelism. And he said, he gave us this technique, how to, how to evangelize people. It's, it's really simple. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's one of many techniques. You know, there's a lot out there. Um, and uh, one of the questions is, who is Jesus to you? You know, and I, and I think back to Peter and I think back to when Jesus is, is like freaking everybody out because he, he's, he's done these miracles and these people are following him. There's a whole bunch of people following him. And Jesus turns around and he goes, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? And then they like, just leave. You know, and they all leave. And Jesus gets a little frustrated and he, he, he looks at his disciples. He says, aren't you going too? Aren't you going to go? And what happens? They turn and they say, where will we go, Lord? You have the words of life. You know, this idea of who do you say I am? You are the son of the most high God, you are the Messiah, you are what we've been waiting for, and you're here. So my question to you is, who do you say Christ is? Is he a man? Is he just a, just, just a guy who he, he existed? And you're cool with that. You're like, yeah, dude, in history, he existed. We can prove it. I'm with you. That's fine. Jesus was a man. Or are you, he's a, he's a prophet? Yeah, he's, he's right there with Muhammad. You know, he's not God. He's just one of God's messengers. And he's good stuff and he's got great teaching. Or is he God to you? Because that's ultimately all that matters. I can, I can preach and teach. And I teach, uh, I teach theology at the high school. It's a Christian high school. And I can tell my students all these things. I can give them a lot of stuff. We can go into the Greek and have fun and draw squigglies. But it doesn't matter. If unless it's their faith, you know, and I think sometimes when we get to college, it gets weird because we go, we go, okay, I'm not under my parents' thumb anymore. Where do I want to go to church? Do I want to go to church? And what kind of church do I want? You know, so maybe you go, maybe you don't, whatever, but it's your decision. You get to decide that adults, you know, you get to decide that parents, if your kids go to church. You don't get to decide whether they like it or not, but you get to decide whether they go. You get to decide what to do with this Jesus. 
what to do with his word. And I think we always think about this idea of when we get to heaven, you know, sometimes pastor said the question's going to be, what have you done with my son? Did you say, I believe and worship him? Or did you just say, no, he's a man. He's He's a prophet. He's done some good things, but he isn't God. So Jesus is the Messiah. He is the only way to the Father. And he is our only hope. So I want to read to you John chapter 20, verse 31, and we'll be done. But these are written, this book, this Bible, is written so that you may believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and may be, by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. So Lord, we just thank you that your word has been given to us, that Christ came down for us to glorify his Father, to be an obedient son, and that we should have the attitude that is of Christ Jesus. Being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself into the form of a servant. Lord, that he was faithful to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that by his wounds we're healed. Our transgressions are wiped away and everything is new. And he is our glorious king who reigns forever. And God, we pray that this year, that this upcoming fall, that this campus would be blown up for the Lord that those who see opportunities to invest in others would so that they can make disciples, which is the only thing we're asked to do. God, that we would have the joy of telling other people where to find you. And so, Lord, enable us to do that. Give us the words. Give us the courage and the wisdom and the boldness. And we'll commit it all into your hands. It's in your name we pray. Amen.